Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no brainer. Use the stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Hi everybody, it's a massive day in rugby today. Uh, this is The Ruck from The Times and The Sunday Times. Thanks again for joining us. I'm Stephen Jones and today we have people at the opposite ends of the experience spectrum. Stuart Barnes, the messy of rugby journalism, that's M-E-S-S-Y. Stuart, what have you been up to on the weekend? Tripping down the M5, Steve, to watch um, the Blue Bull seconds take on Exeter. Uh, and I must admit, just quietly... I'm quite impressed with how Exeter are rebuilding. Secondly, Elgin Alderman. People are already talking to, about him being the new Barnes. Elgin, what have you been up to on the weekend? Uh, I've been doing mostly things that a 29-year-old Stuart Barnes would do after that introduction. But uh, I can I, assure you wouldn't, otherwise you wouldn't be here. <laughs> <laughs> I was at a very wet Twickenham Stoop on Sunday night for Harlequins versus Racing 92, where it turned out rain and stardust do not mix well. Otherwise, I've spent most of the weekend trying to place Osprey's win against Montpellier in the pantheon of Welsh wins in Europe and thinking a lot more than usual about Bourgoin because Welsh teams often beat them and they used to pick second-string teams as well. So mainly, yes, thinking about Bourgoin and oh, I hope that continues this week too. We're going to come along shortly to putting a massive question mark against the European rugby competitions. But first, momentously, Steve Borthwick has been named as the New England head coach it's an appointment that's been flagged up, but I still think it's momentous. We're going straight on to the uh, the Borthwick issue, what it means, what he'll do, what he needs to do, and also his backup people. We will then be going on to the weighty question of European Champions Cup and Challenge Cup action or lack of action, as it appeared to be some places last weekend. First of all, Stuart Barnes, um, a man of Bath, Steve Borthwick, originally of Bath, momentous news, Stuart. Eddie's gone. What are your immediate thoughts? It's a solid selection. I mean, obviously, it's the worst kept secret in in world rugby. Um, I, I think it's a solid selection because I think Steve's a man of integrity, uh, and that was important. I think he's a sound selector, and that is important. And I think he understands the foremost need to get the, the 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 foundations of this England team right he will do everything he can to guarantee they've got a, a set piece that functions and then he'll move from there when he gets that set piece then 
there will be some question marks and there are things I wonder about. But I, I think with nine months to go or whatever it is until the World Cup, he does have time to just put even England on an even keel. And that, that's very important because they've been wobbling all over the place. The the odd moment of good rugby on the tour of Australia has been eclipsed by some awful um, stuff at, at Twickenham and, and just strategically non-plus. Everybody, everybody's wondering where are they going. Borthwick will point England in the in a direction. I hope it's the right one. Interesting. And uh, the, the people who are piping up saying they shouldn't have got rid of Eddie, where the hell were they in the autumn where England gave at least two non-performances? Elgin, where do you stand on Borthwick? Is he the right man? Is he totally the right man? I think he is the right man. Obviously, it was expected that he would be taking, that it would be announced in May of 2023 that he would be taking over after the World Cup. So if you're not going to bring in someone on a short eight, eight month, nine month job, then he is the right man to take charge. It's certainly an early departure from the Eddie Jones era in that they've picked on premiership form because Steve Borthwick has led Leicester Tigers to the premiership title uh, last season. He's an experienced premiership player. He's second most caps of all time in the league and only Richard w- Wigglesworth, who's now replacing him as interim head coach at, at Leicester, has more. The talk that you get from... Leicester players and that you you see around Steve Borthwick and and Kevin Sinfield are that these are men that players want to play for and that is the key thing you get from them. So with a lot of the talk having been around the culture and the England team and and whether they're pulling together etc with these two men at the top you'd think it stands as good a chance as any of, of getting everyone around one purpose and playing together. Well, well said and uh, also just to add Kevin Sinfield the great rugby league player former great rugby league player who's been successful at uh, and well liked at Leicester will be joining Steve Borthwick as yet we don't know um, the rest of the coaching group surely they can't uh, re-employ some of the coaching group left under Eddie which was basically uh, a bunch of wreckage uh, Stuart um, Kevin Sinfield great lad has done so much for uh, charity work for the Rob Burrows charities, uh, etc. Et Obviously, an Iron Man, really popular. But is he not? Is he anything more at the moment than a Tyro Rugby Union coach? Uh, we're going to find out. I, I, I think Steve Borthwick has worked close up with him, uh, and I think Borthwick is a, is a good judge, especially uh, of the men who coach. So I'd take his word on that. And I think this is very much many, many years later on. But England should have signed Sean Edwards a long time ago. And and I see in Kevin Sinfield, and I hear what people talk about him, a lot of the uh, Edwards attributes, an ability to really work uh, with the players, an ability to make the players believe in themselves, and an ability to just keep making those defensive tackles to get off your butt and keep going. I keep hearing, you know, 15 years, 20 years ago, what I was hearing about Sean Edwards, I'm hearing about Kevin Sinfield. So hopefully um, those echoes are right, in which case he's going to be a great signing. And and the fact that he's been with Steve Borthwick for two years does comfort me quite a lot. Sure, fair point. Elgin, um, just in passing here, uh, Leicester were having a terrible run. They put together a coaching group, a, a, a big coaching group. They went to a lot of expense. They got Steve Borthwick in. They got Kevin Sinfield in. 
really, really pulling down the pillars there. Now suddenly they've gone. Do, you, do, we, do we feel really sorry for Leicester? Of course, they. you'd think Leicester will have been planning for this because, as we said, the chief executive has not hidden away from the fact that they would not stand in the way of Steve Borthwick leaving for the England job. They said, you know, he's a proud Englishman, that's what he wants to do, and if offered the chance, and he's been offered it nine months earlier than we expected him to be given that chance. So they'd have expected to be replacing him at the end of this season. As it is, it's just a few months earlier. So I don't think it'll be too drastic a change for them. But of course, if you are losing a head coach of of his calibre, then you would not be surprised if results tailed off slightly. But you'd think they just now have to to bring that change forward. As I said uh, earlier, Richard Wigglesworth is, is in as interim head coach. We'll see if he ends up taking the, the role long term or if they go elsewhere. But yes, it's just a case of bringing it forward by nine months or so. And Richard Wigglesworth is an estimable player. I, th- I thought he's massively underrated as a player and certainly as a rugby as a rugby brain. Stuart, um, we, we know uh, it's, it's, it's well known that uh, unlike Eddie, Steve Borthwick is very reserved. He's not given to massive pronouncements and Churchillian speeches, etc., which, which, which is fine. Um, nor is, for instance, Gareth Gareth Southgate. But um, there is a big disconnect between the England team and the England rugby nation and some and supporters. Uh, and it, I guess, in a way, with the media in between, because we're meant to link them all together. Do, do you not agree with me that he has to come out of his shell now and again, and he has to be personable? Uh, and he has to uh, realise that he's got to get the nation on side with what he says as well as what he does. Yes, I do. But I, I keep hearing that Borthwick's got to be some sort of entertainer. And I keep reading that. The most important thing for him, if the England team want to get on side with the England fans, it's going to ha- be what happens on the pitch. I, I think there's a hell of a lot of people saying, oh, you know, you, you need somebody who can project some life into a press conference to hell with press conferences. Steve Borthwick is is a very bright man. I don't think it'll take a, a lot for him just to get a little bit of outdoors assistance to say, just open up a bit, Steve. He doesn't have to do much. They, they, uh, we, we, one of the first things we mentioned here, and it's very, very important as well as that, is that um, they must get their front five together. Line out Steve Borthwick will probably be able to do that, but also front row. I mean, it's humiliating when you see what should be England's great strength when you see the scrum going back and, and giving away three penalties in four scrums, etc. Where how are we looking for... I'll ask Elgin first, then Stuart. Where are we looking for in terms of personnel to make this pack bigger and better? I think someone like Joe Marler at Loosehead Prop, because as in terms of a scrummaging force, he is very strong, but he's also you know no mug around the park. You see him do those tip passes occasionally. With Jamie George and Luke Cowan-Dickey, those are two excellent Hookers. Jamie George, obviously a very skillful hooker as well, not just a man for the for the tight. St- Stuart, um, I've managed to interest you in scrummaging for the first time for about 25 years. You're now a big scrummage fan like like me. Where would you go for personnel? Steve, I always I always liked a pair of props in second rows because, you know, at Bath, I'd like to say, can you please wheel it 
6.2 degrees to the right. So that'll <laughs> open up a little short side for me and make me and Jerry Guscott look quite good. So I always had a lot of respect and love for props. Yes, yeah, only um, because you love Coochie Chilcott. I like them making making our back line look quite good too. Okay. And of course, I do love Coochie Chilcott. Yeah. Genji's uh, one of the most pyrotechnic prop forwards in the world. But right now, I think we're in a South African situation where they're thinking, what's our most solid scrummage in front row? And then how do we explode into life? He's very explosive. But with the World Cup coming, you can't get away from the fact that uh, Tyrrell Lomax of New Zealand and Franz Malherbe put him under in terrible positions. And it doesn't matter how, how great you look in the loose. That's really uh, a, a massive negative for your team. So I think England's most hyped player is going to have to start on the bench. And I, I agree. I think probably Marla is the obvious one. On the other side, Carl uh, Sinclair has not played well this season, has had a terrible time for England. Eddie Jones did look at Will Stewart to start. And I, I think they've probably got to go Stewart. And I'm going to irritate the life out of you and say, the most solid tight head prop week in, week out in England is Dan Cole. Correct. And he's improved from the last World Cup. You did people said, people said Dan Cole got put in a pile. He wasn't the only one. I mean, Mako Vunipola, he's still playing international rugby. So I think they've got to do that. The, the other thing, Steve, Mario Toje is a, a, a world-class player, but he's not a big monstrous beast. And when England go Hill and Itoje, they just don't have the heft in that second row. This is where Jones got it wrong. He didn't treat Launchbury well enough. Joe Launchbury, with his bolt, is a really good scrummaging and front-jumping second row. Right now, to go through England's type five forwards, you're going, there isn't the sort of contrast you need. England would give anything for a man like Eben Etzebet because we don't have... The Victor Matfield, Backy's border balance. And until we get that, it's not just about two props and a hooker. It's the whole collective. Fair enough. The the uh, I think the two problems they got up front are that Joe Marler is uh, uh, ideally the best player, but Joe can't quite make up his mind whether he wants to be in or out. And also Carl Sinclair is just not really developed as an attacking scrummager as we thought he might. Guys, just just to to um, to finish off this this section of the chat. Who, who do we think should be coming into this team? You've got Ben Earl Stewart, who I would definitely agree with. Jack Willis, you've mentioned, um, I would I would definitely agree with. Um, we 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 need um, uh, a scrum half, really. Um, Van Portfleet wasn't impressive uh, in the autumn. Uh, Alex Mitchell at Northampton yesterday, albeit in, in front of, behind a bad pack, was was I thought really poor. Elgin, who would you like to see coming in? Who can give it some spice and some energy? Obviously, with Steve Borthwick having the Leicester connection, suddenly you're looking at players that have done well under him and that have that have that Steve has favoured at Leicester who might be coming in, the likes of Dan Kelly, someone like that. But in terms of forward heft, you're looking at perhaps someone like Ollie Chesham. He's a big boy, cover the back five of the uh, lock or possibly six. Uh, a promising young big talent at Leicester so he's the type of person that could come in in the second row and give them give them some go forward some a bullying presence in the in the pack do you know what I, I think that's a fair point what I would love 
we've mentioned Itoji, we've mentioned Chesham, we've mentioned Laws. I would love someone who's not actually in any way a blindside flanker. All he is is a great big tractor lock, like Palmier and Ambernon or someone someone like that. So there's no no mucking about. He's always there on the right-hand side of the scrummage. I'd love someone like that rather than some guy, although I get your point. Um, Stuart, the people you'd love to see in there, just to give it some extra spice. Well, I'll give you the problem first. Nine and ten, they're indecisive, and it's very hard to work out who it is. It's 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 the big selection, and it ain't going to be easy. In the back three, I'll pick one I really want to see, and I've been writing him up. I think Elliot Daly gives England an extra vision that that they chronically lack at the moment from the back. He can switch between the wing and full back to get this kicking game, to get the counter-attacking game going. And I love the idea of of having a sort of a spine that goes George Itoje, maybe Farrell, if you're going to play Earl, and then someone like Daly, because Saracens are by a mile the best England team. Therefore, you figure that the spine of this England team, like it was in 2019, should be Saracens. That that. That makes logical sense to me with the World Cup coming on the horizon. I uh, totally agree about Daly. He's a sort of, by people that go on about his, what position, he's so good. I'd say, right, put Daly in and then worry about the positions for the others. I think um, I'd love to see Alex Lozowski, son of Rob Lozowski, uh, in there too. Okay, well, thank you guys. I think we've covered some areas of the team there and what needs to be done. February the 4th, uh, England play Scotland at Twickenham first of the Six Nations. In eight months' time, they go to the World Cup. Time is short, but it's not really uh, nastily short at at present. And I think, really, we've spent a lot of time here, quite rightly, over the last couple of years, criticising England. But it's time that England players and supporters, Stuart, had had a smile on their face, not only from the style of rugby... Uh, and the way that they portray themselves, but also with results. Yeah, England under Borthwick, he has to engender enjoyment. And if he can do that, England still have enough good players to be competitive. I I, I think there's too many question marks about the type five and halfbacks for them to uh, go and win a title. And I don't really think that they can go too far in the World Cup. I think for the next year, if they play a lot of good rugby and they can get a couple of big scalps, that would do me. Um, I think realistically, um, whatever coach they've got, they're not in position to win the next World Cup. And I think they should go into that, give it everything they've got, but have eyes on the next one in Australia. Okay, Elgin, um, you and I and all rugby writers, we're always competing with football for space, with the, with the god of football. We're talking here within um, a day of uh, one of the greatest football occasions, albeit in one of the dodgiest uh, venues, if I may say so. Um, but we really do need, for us and for the country and for rugby, which is in a downbeat uh, area at the moment, we need an England surge, surely. Absolutely, and I think when you consider whether or not you want Steve Borthwick cracking wise in press conferences or winning rugby games, obviously you'd like him to be personal and to be winning rugby games. But fundamentally, if England start winning, if they win a Grand Slam, if they do well at the World Cup, 
that'll be good enough for, for England fans. And I know a lot of people have said, you know, is it too late in the day? I don't buy into the notion that it's it's ever really too late, especially nine months before a tournament, because we've seen so many examples across a myriad sports of coaches coming in and making a huge difference quickly. So it's certainly all to play for for England. And as long as they don't do too well at Cardiff in the Six Nations, they can, they can do very well elsewhere. Steve Borthwick, good luck. And coming up next, we're going to get into our chat about the Champions Cup uh, and the question marks from the weekend. OK, as promised, we're now going straight into examination of the European competitions. We've had two weeks, the first two weeks of pool action, and uh, this is a comment on the pools and the action so far from Joe Mahler. Awful competition. Lost its magic. Fairly brief and to the point there by Joe. But I have to say, Stuart, uh, in, as a generalisation, you know where he's coming from. As a generalisation, I certainly do. Um, I've lost, watched a hell of a lot of uh, matches in the first two rounds. And there have been one or two good games and uh, a spectacular performance from Toulouse. Uh, but overall, uh, this tournament is is a shadow of previous ones. Um, the system's all wrong. There's no doubt about it. That they've, they've got too many teams uh, and the two pools of 12, which I'm sure we'll go into. Just It, it doesn't function properly. Stuart, uh, would you go as far as to say that it's all been exacerbated by the vast distances and the arrival of, with respect, to the South African teams? Yeah. Antoine Dupont, before it started, said he, he couldn't get his head around the South African teams being there. He wasn't having a, a pop at them. He was just saying, as a kid in the south of France, he grew up on, on the European Cup. You know, sponsors always tell us it's got to be the Heineken or the Champions Cup, but we know it as the European Cup. And it palpably is not the European Cup, and it's not the South African side's fault, but there's just so much stretch on it now. It, URC, once they came into the URC, then they had to, you know, if, if they qualified, they had to play. There's no doubt about that. They shouldn't have entered that tournament. That was a mistake. Uh, and what we're finding now is we're trying to turn the world into a uh, rugby into, into a global game. And and sometimes, Steve, I, I think the intensity and rivalry, it requires less miles and not more. We've got miles and miles and miles. You know, I was at Exeter and Jake White made the point that he brought a second team over. But for cost purposes, to, to fly from Pretoria, which probably means Joburg, to, to England... Uh, they went via Doha and it was a two-day journey and they they can't, you know, bring their first team under those circumstances. It doesn't work. Elgin, um, you, you went to Quinns last night, Quinns against Racing, which should have been one of the great games. I mean, it's very difficult in pouring rain and in almost in the dead of night with a late kickoff to make it a classic. But that's, that, that, for a start, let's just have a chat about that 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 thing. Did it fulfil the bill as a top of the top of Europe match, or was there the? Did you share or do you share for that game and others the reservations of Stuart and myself? I would say generally that it does feel like there's just this unquantifiable magic that is lacking at the moment, this luster that you look forward to for the, the Heineken Cup or the, or the H Cup as it was uh, as it would be marketed as in France back in the day. In terms of the match at Twickenham Stoop on Sunday night, 
Harlequins had come from playing in 30 degrees to having to train on artificial pitches in Cobham because the weather was so bad in the UK. Quite quite the contrast. I think Nick Evans, the attack coach, said he'd never really... Perhaps travelling from South Africa to Dunedin, he had experienced a contrast in weather like that. But um, certainly it, it was as polar opposite as you get in terms of conditions uh, for a contrast of conditions. In the end, yes, two teams with sort of Harlem Globetrotters DNA and the site that proved that none of that was on show because of the weather, it rained non-stop for 80 minutes, was Christian Wade on his return to English rugby being subbed off after 44 minutes after two or three touches of the ball. And Finn Russell, the magician, spent most of the his hour on the field having low kicks charged down and he was taken off after an hour as well. So that i think more than anything showed that it wasn't a day for the uh, for the magicians we love to watch i love the love the uh, the image of christian wade uh, st- wandering off the field this gr- great player i've always loved and uh, never even got a chance and coming off as if soaked St- stuart um, we can't take away the fact that if your team's playing at home and you love your team and they win by 50 points well uh, you know that's a good win and you've enjoyed it you can have a drink or you can take your kids or whatever but um, the fact that uh, Gloucester went to uh, Leinster with a, a second team, and let's be fair, Leinster are notorious for fielding second teams in other competitions, and the fact that the Bulls went to Exeter in what looked like a fantastic game with a second team, it doesn't matter how much the home fans enjoy it. You want to see the best players. You want it to be a summit of Europe game. And already... It's only in the second week of the tournament and, and everyone can still qualify. Already people are, are basically giving up on it. Well, I think some teams have given up before it started. And that has happened before. I mean, we've got to remember that. Bourguin, you know, we in the English media, it was like a swear word to us because they mm. would go to Leinster and, and lose by 100 points. And cast in the early days, they'd field a second team and they'd be very weak. So that has happened before, but it hasn't been an integral part of the tournament where so many teams... Uh, the, the problem now, Steve, it's not just sending weakened teams. It, it's strong clubs who are thinking, because eight can get through and only four will go out mm-hmm. from this ridiculous half-cock system, then we can throw away games and we'll still get through. From Gloucester's perspective, they rested about a third of their team for Bordeaux, but Bordeaux rested two-thirds of their team, so they got a bonus point. They got five points. They think we're going to get nothing at Leinster, so we'll rest absolutely everyone for Leicester the next week. And we've still got a very good chance of getting into the last 16. And that that is a mindset that, that is hopeless, and it's debilitating in terms of the seriousness with which this tournament has to be taken at pool stage. Exactly. We must be fair and say that there were some good games. Um, I thoroughly enjoyed uh, Saracens away at uh, Lyon. Um, no way was that a foregone conclusion. Okay, they, I think they did rest a few both sides, but it, it was it was full on. I think the Ospreys, as Elgin and I just been saying, the, the Ospreys winning uh, down in uh, Montpellier. Uh, well, God was much needed by them, but 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 decent. Uh, but of, of 42 games have been played in the two competitions in these two weeks. And if you go through them, there's been some really, really low-rent occasions. I mean, Ulster had to play away in front of no people um, uh, on, on the weekend. Also, the Cheetahs' home game was in Italy. Again, hardly any people, about 
a, a couple of valiant supporters of Thlanethli. Elgin, um, are we getting to the stage now where it's so, so, so critical they need to make an announcement or they need to act or have they just got to get through this season somehow, hopefully, and hopefully that when it comes to the knockout stages, it'll be partly revived by some great games? I think it will be revived by the time we get to the last 16 because I've got vague memories that we were having sort of similar discussions last season and then we had excellent knockout rounds. So I think it will be revived slightly once we get to, to the last 16. But I would agree that I think there needs to be a reversion to that that pool structure where it's just so much easier to understand. You know, I'm looking at the table and tables in front of me now. You've got that big line below eight out of the 12 teams in each pool. And it's just difficult to understand exactly how it's working on to get a feel for who's got the momentum, who's doing well. So a reversion to, to those pool stages However, that works uh, would be would be welcome for me. And do you do you Steve, think? Sorry, yes, Stuart, go, go ahead. It's twi- it's twice as easy to qualify as it is to not qualify. Hmm. That goes against the entire grain of sport. It, it it's madness. If you got twelve, you should say right. Four can go through. It's a battle all the way to get through. Eight will go out. If you have to have twelve, you go that way. We go eight. Go through. Four don't. I mean that is just um, an insult to fans. I'm, I'm so, because it takes so much of the competition out of it. Elgin Stuart and I are talking in terms of putting a big question mark against South African participation. We just heard the stories of how they get there via Abu Dhabi or, or wherever it is. It is such a long way. It may not be. You may not get jet lag, but it is a heck of a long way. You've got to take out half your week. And uh, as Joe Marler says, uh, well, he, with, his, with his A word, it is difficult. Would you go so far as to put the whole um, presence of South African teams in the European Cup? Would you put it at risk? I think certainly give it this first season to see how it goes and then assess from there because as as we mentioned in terms of the long distance travel I was speaking to one of my friends he's a big rugby fan the other day you know he's a geographer he cares about sort of world issues etc and we were talking about how we're talking about things like climate change now and you've got people Absolutely. flying all over the world for for Absolutely. games week, weeks apart so there's there's more considerations than, than just rugby in this matter almost uh, they, I think you know I think Rob Baxter and Nick Evans have both come out and said you know give it a season Rob Baxter has been a bit critical saying you know it has to be a financial success for it to continue yeah I do think give it this season and then reflect on how it's worked but I don't think it's a certain saying, yep, let's carry on forever. But yeah, give it to the end of the season, then we should consider how it works best or if it has worked at all. Stuart, we've never mentioned climate change on the rug before. What, what, should we cut that bit out or what? No, we, we have actually, Steve. Have I've we? certainly written about it. The uh, World Sevens, which goes around spreading pollution. Oh, uh, uh, yeah. Um, with, with great happiness, whilst World Rugby talks about its... Um, commitment to uh yes. saving the planet it's <laughs> what we say and what we do in rugby are two different things so i'm all for elgin and his geographer mate there i've been thinking it myself I, the south african teams it's insane that if they're gonna have four games they have to stay at home for two and then they travel for two not it's it's lunacy it's lunacy and it's an abject lack of consideration from the organisers for the planet. Um, Stuart, uh, <laughs> England, England challenge. Um, 
Let's uh, have a quick chat about that. I, I watched uh, Northampton and Munster in its entirety yesterday. At the end of it, because Northampton had had the ball, Munster were congratulated, as usual, uh, by overpraising their effort, uh, when, in fact, Northampton's attack was so horrific. You could hardly... It was so slow, so plodding, there was no quick ball. No-one knew what was going on. You and I and Elgin and Alfie, the producer, could have defended against them. Um, any any signs of life in the England challenge? Well, on that one, I would I would say Munster's greatest skill. Uh, there's the, the two things they're fantastic at. Uh, their defensive line out five meters out is brilliant, yes. uh, and it was really good with Burnham Omani under pressure. Uh, and they have always Jonesy in their glory days or their not so glorious days. Uh, been a right handful at the breakdown. Now, Northampton's game predicated on quick ball. They couldn't get any quick ball. They lost the breakdown. If Northampton lose the breakdown, they've got nothing else. And and that does, of course, ask questions about their capacity to change a game plan, which we've talked about in, in many ways for England. So that was very disappointing. But I give Munster some credit. But as, as for English challenge... It's Saracens, and I, I, I do wonder. I think at the highest level, one of the reasons they've changed their game is they don't quite have that capacity uh, to go full tilt up front for eighty minutes with, with uh, strength in depth. And I think in Europe, before they won the European Cup, they kept getting done, didn't they, against the big French teams because they couldn't win those breakdown collisions at semi-final and final time. I remember it. And I just wonder whether um, admirable uh, as the, the, the transition in the way they're playing is, whether they'll be slightly underpowered. I mean, yesterday, I have to say, um, I thought Toulouse delivered one of the best pool round performances I've seen for years. Mm. Uh, and they have giants up front who can offload pop passes beautifully. They scored one try, Steve, where I think there were 10 passes and six, uh, 10 passes, six of them were little pops, basketball style. And you throw Dupont into the equation with a back line that understands the need to find space. And it was riveting watching them play, but they have what Saracens, I'm sure if they, if they had just the bulk, they'd be able to compete. But I wonder whether the English can handle the physical power and the skill of La Rochelle and, and Toulouse and, and and just the wealth of talent that it, that is Leinster. Very good point. I think that uh, the absence of skeleton in, is making a difference to Saracens. Stuart, uh, Elgin, I can ask Elgin in just a second um, where he sees the, the English challenge, which a lot of people are interested in. First of all, you mentioned a player this morning in the paper who's been marvellous all season, never got a look in for uh, Eddie's ludicrous selections. And you now want him in the centre. That's Ben Earl, because I, mm. I certainly would want him in the squad somewhere because he's playing out of his skin. He's got an urgency and a pace about him. But in the centre? Steve, I, I don't understand why we're so petrified experimentation. And mm -hmm. I'll say this because people below the line are saying, you're a hypocrite, you had to go at Eddie Jones. You and I used to differ quite a lot over this. I, I never had a concern with the numbers on the back if if they had the skill set to switch from one position to the other. 
And people are saying, people are writing, saying, well, he plays seven for Saracens. The whole point of that column is, actually, apart from when he starts a scrum uh, bound on the side, he doesn't. No, he, you're right. He roams where he wants. He attacks as a centre. He, he he picks lines like a centre. He does all sorts of centre thing. If you put 12 on his back, half the people are saying, you must be mad or you've started drinking the Christmas sherry early would say, why isn't he playing 12? Because he's making the breaks that you've been looking for. His support plays great. He's a defender. So I, I think I think it's a serious option. And I love the idea of England being able to have a, a back row with, say, Jack Willis, maybe Curry as well, and Earl doing what Darcy and O'Driscoll used to do for Ireland. Imagine that sort of I, I three of them. Breakdown. Absolutely intriguing. It would be transformed at that crucial element of the game. Absolutely in intriguing. Elgin, um, are we going to see an England semi-finalist for sure? And are, are we going to see an England winner this year? You'd have to say the biggest challenge thus far is coming from Exeter and Saracens, both of whom have won out in France now. Uh, obviously, they are regular contenders towards the business end of various domestic and European seasons so you'd have to say those are the, the top two at the moment what will be interesting to see is if Leicester can keep winning games when their coaching setup changes which mm. it will now so we'll have to see if they can keep keep their, their form in the in the post-Borthwick era I think slightly tongue-in-cheek after the Ospreys win over Montpellier we have to start talking about the Welsh challenge now because uh, <laughs> that was the uh, perhaps the the greatest Welsh win in France in the in the in the European era. Okay, well, and then Welsh challenge is not something we've spoken about a lot over the years. <laughs> but uh, no, that's that's fair enough. You couldn't. Uh, there's no uh, taking it away from the, from the Ospreys. Finally, on this, um, uh, there was a time when, in the vintage years of this competition, it rivaled for spectacle and tension and class international rugby. Huge numbers of people would go and watch it. It actually made some money. Now it's horrendously badly marketed the yields from profits are tiny fans are diverting away and the teams are weak this thing used to be glorious my favorite competition it is now at stake and uh, perhaps oddly uh, at least uh, two of us perhaps all three of us in the studio are packing down with with joe marler on this and it's very sad something must be done and uh, up next we finish uh, the pod with our choices of God or Goddess of the Week. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Okay, Stuart, over to you uh, for the final word, uh, as usual, uh, but except for me, of course. Uh, God or Goddess? Can I request a heaven? Yes, And you then can. I'll come to God. Yeah, heaven, okay. The, the heaven I have is... a rugby heaven. Right. Football World Cup, kick off three o'clock, one o'clock in Toulouse, and they've packed the stadium 
and they've played a wonderful brand of rugby. And Antoine Dupont has shown that he is every bit as good at rugby as Kylian Mbappe is at football. So that is my heaven of the week. But my God of the week, um, and I really did want to go um, at Dupont because he was fantastic, but it links to that wonderful win um, by the Welsh region, the Ospreys. I thought Reese Webb had a wonderfully understated, controlled game and is by so far the best scrum half in Wales that I just thought I'd send a message with some lightning bolts down. Reese Webb, my God of the Week. Very, very good. I'm in agreement with you there. And also, um, I just think that there might be the next generation of players coming through here and there, but only way behind Reese Webb. Elgin, God or Goddess? Uh, God of the week for me. I I considered something someone from the Ospreys game too. I thought Morgan Morris at number eight was outstanding, but I've gone for Twickenham Stoop Harlequins where I was on Sunday night, and it's between the two front rowers who are both on their first starts in the competition. We saw George Head, the hooker, score a forty-yard run in where he yeah. ran clear of Finn Russell after tearing through a gap in the line. But the man inside him, Finn Baxter, the twenty-year-old loose head on as I say, his tournament debut, who was the dummy runner in that instance. But he won four scrum penalties and was man of the match. He took Bialo and Sadat Gomez uh, to the cleaners at scrum time. So for me, it's the, the baby-faced loose-head assassin, Finn Baxter. OK, mine, uh, not very exciting or left field or right wing or anything like that, but um, it's going to be Jamie George. Jamie, on Saturday, rallied Saracens under, under pressure uh, in Lyon. Um, they weren't at their best. He did, but he did just as he does normally. Before the game, he spoke really well. After the game, he spoke really well. And to the point, no evasion and no no rubbish. On the field, he was a leader. He kept on and on. He objected when they were going to try and take him off. And he is so consistent and so consistently good. So this week for me, it's Jamie George. And just one more thing this week. The championship... At last in England, people are waking up to it and seeing its potential and possibilities. And there's a very big game on Boxing Day involving a team that has done as much as anyone to keep the championship going with no support from anyone. And that's Bedford Blues. Bedford are playing Amptill in what's a local derby and every ticket is long gone. Bedford are one of my favourite clubs. They've always had that passion. They have fantastically loyal fans. And uh, sadly, um, there's no way you can join them now. But those people who do, do go to Goldington Road, even down that famous hill there into the bottom corner, will love it. Good God bless Bedford. And uh, hopefully now others are coming to their aid. And that's it for the ruck uh, for today. So let's just say thank you for Stuart Barnes. Uh, thank you for Elgin Alderman. This has been The Ruck from The Times and The Sunday Times. Follow or subscribe from wherever you get your podcast. This episode was edited and produced by the great Alfie Reynolds. Our next Ruck is on Boxing Day. Yes, we're working on Boxing Day just to stay with you. We will be discussing then our review of what's been an amazing year of ups and downs. Small details are big surfaces, tight corners are odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. 
Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway. Like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.